Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Before we begin, just a massive thank you to however you are listening to this. We really do appreciate your support. We record the podcast every Monday and if you do enjoy it, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James, and I am joined by Mark Orders. It's the day after Wales versus Scotland. A uh, Another disappointing defeat for Wayne Pivak. Uh, the end of a protracted Six Nations campaign that's seen them come fifth uh, with four defeats from five. It's Wayne, Wales' fifth defeat in a row under Wayne Pivak. I mean, if last week's podcast was, uh, wasn't exactly positive, I don't think this is going to be any uh, razor sunshine, is it, Mark? No, it's definitely not. Uh, it certainly hasn't been a great weekend um, uh, for myself as well as for Wales. I uh, bit of an oral misadventure on Friday night, uh, bit into a crust of bread and, and lost a, a tooth, which is dangerously uh, close to one of my front teeth. So, um, yeah, if I'm whistling through my teeth at any point, you'll have to bear with me. But uh, you're absolutely right, Ben. Uh, it was... Uh, it was uh, not Wales' finest hour yesterday. They, they were really depressingly poor. And um, you really would hope that, that things could only get better. But um, that's, that's something of a dangerous thing to say, you know. Indeed, it's a job to, to know where to start, is it? There was just so many things that went wrong. If you look at the numbers, I mean, Wales were outclassed in most areas of the game. Uh, ruck speed was horrendously poor I think there was about 31% of Wales's rucks were over 6 seconds which is the same of amount of rucks that were under 3 seconds so that's not conducive to playing good attack in rugby uh, breakdown either side of the ball wasn't great I mean they only affected 4 turnovers and didn't really slow Scotland down there's just a lot that was wrong yesterday wasn't there? Oh, there, there was and it, it for me you know it um, you mentioned the rucks and it's absolutely critical in the, in the modern game that um, that you, you get the ball away quickly. And there's so many dimensions to that, including sort of uh, players coming in and, and, and clearing sort of uh, opponents out. And I, I just think that Wales have missed Ken Owens and Jake Ball uh, seriously in that respect. Um, they, they, they were pretty unsung at times, um, uh, doing that kind of work, but it's absolutely essential. And ball would, would steam into sort of uh, into the rucks and play players off the ball uh, with, with with torpedo-like sort of impact and force. And Ken Owens as well, you know, really really strong, and he's uh, he's got a penchant for doing the sort of unglamorous work and uh, lifting players out of rucks and and just yeah, it's uh, uh, so there's that element and. You know, without it, you end up with painfully slow ball. And if, if you're talking six-second rucks, you got no chance. Um, you know, you're, you're talking there of, of 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 an attack. It's almost like a sort of a, a medieval army sort of going in, going forward, stopping everybody, sort of uh, resting, and then and then you, you go forward again and. Realistically, you, you, you've, it just becomes so difficult to break opposition defences like that. But I also thought that um, 
uh, Wales's lineup wasn't great. Okay, it was windy, but it has been a problem really um, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, and a scrum as well. And you know, it it, it wasn't great. Um, and Jones came on, and matters did improve. Uh, but prior to that, you know, it was uh, it creaked a little bit, and without a proper solid set piece platform, you, you're always going to be struggling. And Ross um, Bigger, of course, at uh, half time, I actually thought he was he was a plus for Wales, um, even given uh, the rickety platform. And uh, yeah, it, it was difficult, and I think a lot of their problems do start up front. And uh, and they need to be addressed um, sooner rather than later. Otherwise, this autumn is going to be a, a long old campaign. The issue is how you address them. I, I was up till about three a.m. last night looking looking at the breakdown, yeah. and you sort of come away. You're not really sure what Wales can do offensively because it already it already feels like Wales are making compromises on what they want to do because of how the breakdown is going. So they want to play with banks of forwards in midfield. The create passing options and, and carrying options that can hold defences, you know, sort of similar to what Japan did in the World Cup, similar to what Ireland are trying to do with their forwards now. It's a sort of a 1 3 2 2 pod formation. The problem was, I don't recall ever seeing yesterday a situation where Wales were able to get, say, two pods set up in midfield because of how the breakdown was going. I remember there was a time where there was maybe a pod of three, but at that point there was no second pod in midfield. So Wales never had the option to go out the back and to move it wide. And as such, then you've got people like James Davis sort of loitering in the wide channels, but the ball's never going to get to them because you haven't laid the platform. And I think that comes from Wales are already conscious of the fact that they have to commit more numbers to the breakdown. But at the minute, they're just not doing it effectively. I've lost count of times over the last couple of weeks where Wales a lot of Wales' turnovers come from ball carriers going into tackles isolated already but there's a lot of turnovers where they're coming from players going into tackles that should be secure because they've got latches and then it's just poor technique and the latches somehow get uh, detached or or go off their feet, or they just get disrupted, and and Wales aren't able to win ball. It should be easy ball, and that's that's the part where it's hard for me to f- see a an easy solution because Wayne Pivak wants his forwards to carry more than than Gatland ever did. Yesterday would have been in many ways an ideal game for Gatland. I think the forwards carried about forty times, and I, I saw a quite startling statistic the other week. I think of since twenty fifteen. I think if you look at the fifteen games where forwards carried the most for Wales and the 15 games where Wales forwards carried the least of the 15 least I think Wales won about 12 of them of the 15 most Wales only won six Gatlin didn't want his forwards to carry much because he knew I think as we all sort of know that there aren't mammoth ball carriers in Wales and there hasn't been for a while I mean there's a reason that most of the the, the carrying records in the Six Nations for Wales are still held by Scott Grinnell yeah, yeah. So Gatlin sort of played to those strengths. The fours didn't carry much. Wales generated ball through pick and goes, maybe, and, and, and through backs like George North and Jamie Roberts hitting lines and kicking the ball away and basically letting the opposition play a lot and back in the defence and taking shots. Pivak doesn't want to do that. He wants the forwards to lay the platform, but at the minute, I just don't see 
anything from the forwards that suggests to me that they're able to do that because all the carries are static there's no tip on passes there's no flooding sort of short small areas with options so I, I just I just can't see how Wales are going to generate that go forward and, and if they can't do that then you, you fall back into the trap of ending up in that Gatling game where you're back in the defence you're kicking the ball away a lot you're back in the defence and again Wales don't really look like they can play that game at the minute with what they're doing so it's 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 a tough one to solve, isn't it? It is a tough one to solve, and uh, you know, Pivot's got to really—he's um, got to really think, and and and, he, and he's got to—he has got to start playing to Wales's strengths. The, the problem with that is that Wales's strengths uh, don't necessarily fit the game plan that, that Pivot wants to play. He, he wants to play uh, an expansive game and open rugby, and he wants. Forwards dashing from you there uh, uh, to everywhere, um, but unfortunately, as you say, Ben, that Wales at the moment haven't got those kind of players. Um, I mean, you you rewind uh, the clock a few years, you know, and, and you'd have Falatau in, in the in the back row, sort of making making great yardage uh, every game, and that would be crucial. Um, I do, I, I and Kalupe. For whatever reason, he doesn't look the player that he was. Um, I'm loath to sort of, uh, I'm loath to sort of hang the blame for anything on on, on one player because it's a team game. Um, but Wales need Tolupe to be at his best if 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 they could if they could turn back time, as Cher once said, um, and get that player back um, straight away. They'd have a world class uh, forward. Uh, who can take them over the game line. Uh, and that would be a plus if just one bloke is doing it at the moment because you haven't really got anyone doing it. Um, they are trying to invest in, in youth in the front row. It's, it's a little bit of a, a dangerous game to play where you've know you, you you've got two sort of youngsters in the front row. Um, although um, effort is never a problem and uh, Ryan Elias did try hard yesterday, albeit, you know, amid... Uh, Amid the difficult, windy conditions, which meant it was really challenging for the uh, both hookers. Um, I think you know, uh, with Rhys Carey as well, promising player. Uh, is, is he ready as test starter now? You probably say, well, not yet. You know, it uh, it, it will take a bit of time. Um, so there are numerous areas where Wayne Pivot can can look at it, and I do think that. Um, as a personal dimension to this as well, you know, they yesterday arguably their first choice back row of uh, Josh Navidi, Justin Tipperick, and Ross Moriarty weren't available, and that would have made a difference. Even though you know we'll still need to address their um, front five issues, um, they're, they're sort of changing people around at the moment, and uh, and it's difficult, you know, they're. Uh, they're sort of bringing in second rows. They're, they're, look, they're, they're looking at the, the front row forwards and shuffling around, and nobody is particularly impressed. So what do you do? Um, training performances should count for something, and uh, it must be people standing out in training. But at the moment, the um, I'd say the selection selection is, uh, is is a little bit questionable as well. I received a call last night, and someone said to me. The side that was picked to face Scotland, it looked like a team that, that you'd expect to be uh, 
kick to face Uruguay or something along those lines. And uh, and you could sort of see it, um, really. Uh, injuries are not helping, but it's professional sport. Everyone guesses injuries, and, and it's how you deal with them then. I suppose the other thing is, just, just watching the game yesterday, and you look at the body language of the players, particularly the, the back line, it just looks one of frustration and, and, and a lack of confidence. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you do feel some sympathy for the backs, really, um, because there are good players in there. We know they're good players. Um, we know that uh, Liam Williams, a world-class player, Josh Adams, he, uh, he was the top try scorer at the World Cup. Um, we know these guys are good players and all of them, all of them, without exception, uh, went to the World Cup. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they all went to the World Cup. They're all experienced and and yet Wales are not getting the best out of them at all. I thought the only, uh, well, Liam, Liam Williams was okay. Um, he came into the game uh, in towards the end Josh Adams had a decent enough first half. And Owen Watkin, I thought, was a plus because I thought that um, Wills have missed Hadley Parks, have missed the kind of glue that he provides in midfield. And I thought Owen Watkin yesterday, I thought he defended quite well. He was unlucky at one strip attempt um, for a turnover. I thought generally in his own distinctive and flashy way, I, I thought he was a plus uh, but you are right, John Davis um, has, has been uh, absent for a long period and uh, he came back into the uh, mix and uh, it's, it's taking time as well for John to move up the uh, the gears. I thought, you know, it was uh, uncharacteristically sort of uh, ordinary game. It, it, it fell short of his, his, his high standards yesterday and... I don't know. I, I just think there's uh, at the moment, you know, the battery is a bit flat inside generally, and um, it really is. It's a difficult one uh, to know what where Pivak goes now, isn't it? Really, because does he does he sort of um, persevere with the the guys who, who sort of came up short yesterday, or does he sort of um, really shake things up for the uh, the island game and? Um, in the hope, you know, that, that that Wales will hit upon a winning formula. What do you, what do you think of the, uh, what do you think of that? It's tough to tell, isn't it? Because, you know, Dublin away is just, it's, it's a, I know it's an autumn game and it's it's the Autumn Nations Cup, which, I mean, it means literally nothing to any of us um, other than the coffers of the unions. But it's still Dublin away and you, you, you don't want to, on the on the back of a five-game losing streak, go to Dublin with, say, Lewis Reesamit on the wing, or Johnny Williams in the centre, or Callum Sheedy would fly half and get hammered. Because then where do you go? But I think we're going to have to see some new faces come in, just because I just don't see where he can go with with the game plan at the minute, with what he's got. I, I, I don't see what more compromises he can make where where effectively it, it doesn't just become a Warren Gatland team, you know. I, I think people complaining yesterday I saw on Twitter about how much Wales kicked the ball and stuff like that, which seems an extraordinary accusation to level at Wayne Pivak as though you've not watched Wales play for 12 years. That's all Wales used to do and the Gatlin was kick the ball. And so I still think there is this element that when when the going got tough yesterday, it it was we, we were stuck between two houses of, of what Gatlin would do and what Pivak wants to do. And 
the end the net result is that we didn't really trouble Scotland so maybe there is going to have to be some new faces to sort of lead this team into Pivac's way of playing and I mean it, uh, I think our, our boss Paul Abandonai has made the point several times that this is an aging Wales team I don't necessarily see that as a massive problem because if you look at the, the aging players they're all still producing at least maybe not at the moment for Wales but they, they're they all still relatively in their prime so it, it's a tough one for Pivac uh, I, I don't really know quite what he'll do for the rest of the autumn um especially now the pressure is on as much as it is. I mean, if last week was bad, the pressure sort of post-match now on Pivac is 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 reaching levels of hysteria. You only have to look on Twitter for, for a couple of minutes to sort of see the, the, the Pivac out brigade quite vocal. Um, that's that's going to be tough, isn't it? It is, it is. But, you know, my, my guess is that Wayne Pivac probably, uh, probably didn't spend three hours on Twitter last night. Look... <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I, I guess uh, a degree of context is is, is needed. Uh, you rewind two years ago, and England finished just in the Six Nations, and um, you know they they've come back and they they had a semi decent season uh, the, the year after, uh, and you know this weekend they're 2020 champions. So you know things can be turned around, but you are right there about um, Dublin being a. Uh, a difficult place to go, even for wild sides who are, who are in form and um, and settled. So yeah, I, I would agree that uh, maybe uh, it, it wouldn't be a great idea to sort of um, throw uh, Lewis Reesamit in there, Callum Sheedy, and uh, Johnny Williams. Maybe the uh, the Georgia game is um, is is the one for those boys. But um, you know, at the end of the day. Pivac as as simply it's it's over to him. There is a degree of pressure mounting, but as as some, a wise man once said, you know, if you're going through hell, you just got to keep going. For me, Wales is starting pack uh, for the Island game should be Win Jones, Sam Parry, uh, Thomas Francis. I, I'd go with uh, undecided whether Rollins or Ball. Flick of the coin job there depends what they want to do and what game they want to play. I'd have Ali win. If Navidi's fit, I'd have him in there. Um, I would have Justin Tipperick, assume he's he's well. And if Ross Moriarty is fit as well, um, I'd consider him as well, either number eight or number six. I think he adds a bit of edge. He always turns up. Um, we once said that about Talupe Falatel, and it, it's only, um, I keep going on about him, but he's such a great player in his prime. And um, it's just a crying shame that uh, we, we're no longer seeing that. You know, you, you go back to 2011, and I, I, I think it was like 80 tackles. Not even sure if he if he missed a single tackle at the World Cup. And this this was uh, a prodigiously talented player. Um, but he, he's not performing. And I guess, um, you know, you've got to at some point take into account um, that fact. And uh, with Moriarty, I think he turns up and I think uh, if obviously there's an issue over his match fitness, I guess, so you know you take that into account. But I think when everybody's fit and firing, uh, I, I would my battle would be uh, Moriarty maybe at six, Tipperick at seven, and, and Navidi at eight. Um, that's the back row that uh, they used in the uh, the Grand Slam in 2019. 
And I think that pack would would um, would give the Irish a game. Um, again, you know, again, is is Josh match fit? We we go back to that, but um, that looks quite a big experienced pack. I wouldn't do too much to the backs. Um, uh, I was a bit surprised, Ben, that they uh, they dropped uh, George North. Well, what did you think of that one? I was a bit surprised they did it now. I mean, there's been countless opportunities to probably do this, hasn't there, over the years? I know our colleague, Matt Southcombe's quite vocal on the fact that he thinks they should be building the game plan around George and, and, and not dropping him. For me, I think under Gatland, he was virtually undroppable. I remember, was it 2017 when Wales went up to... Uh, Edinburgh and lost absolutely woeful performance then the week after I think they lost to England it might be the other way around they might have lost to England then Scotland and then they produced a sort of a performance against Ireland which was meant to shut up the critics so to speak but you know it it took two games and I I always feel that was the issue with, with North under Gatlin was he was always safe for the next match and so I, I never particularly if there was a poor match I was never that confident that he was going to hit back that effectively in the next match. You know, I, I just felt there was a lot of confidence placed in him and, and maybe rightfully so given what he's achieved in the game but he felt undroppable and I, I always felt that maybe that wasn't the best thing for him. I know Matt's spoken about you know the need to sort of coddle him with with confidence and all that but at the end of the day he's, he's a 99 cap international I think you you can't sort of mollycoddle him too much I think you, you have to sort of light a fire under him and, and maybe that's with showing him that his place in the team isn't safe there's other players who can come in like Liam Williams like Lewis Reesamit now it's his time to respond to that so I always I think this has not, not been a long time coming because that sounds like you know I've, I've had the knife out for George North which I haven't but I, I feel like maybe this is something that has needed to happen at some point uh, in the last couple of years, that that, that George is 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 really shown that you know there there are other people who can take your jersey. So you you need to find the work, get the touches, and 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 improve the game. But I was a little bit surprised that it came after last week because he wasn't exactly. I know he wasn't he wasn't terrible in Paris, was he? I mean, he didn't get many touches, but when he did get touches, he looked all right. I suppose the issue is yeah. that he's not he's not getting touches and. Uh, once again, I know Matt thinks that's a problem with the game plan and and not building the game plan around George North. I, I don't think you should be building a game plan around a 28 year old winger. Simple as that, to be honest. In, te- in Test rugby, you shouldn't be building a game plan around the winger unless it's Jonah Lomu, really, should you? Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't see him as being the sort of. I still think he's got plenty to offer to Wales, and you know I'm not going to write him off. But when you look at say a Josh Adams, a Liam Williams, a Lewis Rees Samet even to an extent Johnny McNichol who he hasn't really taken to the test stage I don't think George North offers as much to a Wayne Pivak game plan as those because I don't think his ball playing skills are there I don't think his ball handling skills are there and I don't think he can really come off his wing and offer himself as a, as, as a playmaker or a first receiver like a Johnny McNichol like a Josh Adams like a Lewis Samet, like other wingers can I just don't see him as a Pivak winger yeah, I, uh, I mean, the reality is, I, I, I think if Wills uh, yesterday had had Gerald Davis on one wing and uh, Shane Williams on the other, uh, maybe with JJ and, and Ian Evans on the bench, it still wouldn't have made a lot of difference because the the problems were uh, 
but so obviously in other areas. And Liam Williams, you know, he, he he's he's one of the most wholehearted players in rugby, and yet Liam found it difficult to really get into the game for long periods. He if it, he did in the final quarter, uh, he he took a few catches and sort of uh, had a couple of runs, but before then. Um, it was hard for him to get into the game, um, and Josh Josh Adams did uh, do that in the first half. But um, for, I don't think I I don't think I hear his name mentioned in the final half hour. Um, so yeah, it's it's not easy. But then you, you, by the same token, you you look at Scotland. You know they had Stuart Hogg, Hogg who I thought played really well with, with his running. He, he offered that kind of just counter attacking threat and, and springboard really and um, it really does count and, and, and matter uh, from full back and um, I'm still thinking that uh, maybe Liam Williams's best position is full back and um, that being the case you uh, potentially could accommodate uh, George North um, then with um, with, with maybe Josh Adams on the other wing, um, and that that might boost your attacking options as as well from the back three. Um, but of course, you you'd be sacrificing, uh, you know, Lee Halfpenny and Game Reader Supreme and uh, the dependable sort of option that he is. So it, it's all about how Pivot wants to play the game, and um, but I really do think it it it, it starts up front and. Uh, at the moment, Wales's platform is so rickety. Um, just makes it difficult for the halfbacks. Again, you know, they, they, they've used three different scrum halves um, over the last three games. And um, I still wouldn't imagine they're absolutely certain who, who their top number nine is. And, uh, I mean, you know, you, you, you could say, well, that's, that's the fault of the, um, of the guys being chosen. Um, but I think all of them really are, are sort of craving a steady sort of uh, platform on, on which to play. And um, uh, against France uh, the week before, the 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 Welsh ball was coming back was was so poor. And um, I go back to Farrado; it just made his life a nightmare at number eight. You know, he, he he was having to deal with rubbish ball at the base of the scrum. And then, of course, the um, the, the the scrum half was getting it, and 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 again, very very difficult. So there are myriad problems for um, for uh, Wayne Pivak, and um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tricky. I, uh, we we speak about JJ, you know, Craigie, outspoken pundit that he was. I think he'd have <laughs> yeah. really gone to town. I think he'd have really gone to town on this lot. Yeah, he um, would have. After after the display um, in Sunnetley. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. To, to end the podcast, we should probably do our best to find positives I think um, was it D Ream who, who, who sang things can only get better so, so what can we what can we find I think for starters the, the debut of Shane Lewis Hughes was what we would have expected he, he got into everything didn't he he, re- he really did and um, it, it was encouraging uh, you, you'd say you know he um, a lot of it was fueled by adrenaline but probably 21 tackles and a lot of those were hard hitting affairs and he seemed to uh, 
he seemed to be on the scene for a couple of more turnovers with Alwyn Jones. And I just liked his attitude, you know. Uh, he, he he took it to um, to Scotland and he offered something. Um, and and his defensive work alone was outstanding. I mean, we, we, we didn't see too much in attack from him, but, you know, I think he was still seven carries, 16 metres made. And, um, you know, in these sort of uh, difficult times, those figures are, are not to be sniffed at. So I thought he was a, a big plus um, at one uh, drive at the driving mall uh, for the Scotland converted into a try. In order that he was sort of carried along, really, it looked as if he was uh, hitching a ride on it. He was in the middle of it, and he couldn't do nothing. You know what was needed there really was a second row with telescopic arms, really, like Adam Beard, to reach over and do something to disrupt them. And he couldn't do much. Um, I, I, I thought he was he was he was good, and for the first cap, it was it was an excellent display. And uh, you're right, Ben. That was um, that that did board well. So that, that's something. That's a plus for Pivak to sort of cling on to. And you know, at this moment in time, he. Uh, he does. Uh, he does need those pluses. Um, I thought Ali Wynn, in fairness, on the occasion of his, uh, you know, world records test appearance, I thought. Um, I thought he, he gave away a few penalties, but typically, you know, he, uh, he he kept going, refused to throw the towel in at any point, and uh, and really, at a moment, he. Um, he, he, you kind of felt he deserved a, a sort of a, a better team performance than, than he got. I, I thought he played well. Um, how did you feel uh, Dan Bigger went? I, I thought that um, I thought he was more in credit um, than David. I, I, I thought he was, I thought he was quite uh, quite effective. You know, a few spiraling kicks. Um, did quite well in defence. He, he sort of. Uh, Averted a potential Scottish try when uh, Hogg broke through and he tried to pass a bigger sort of got in between and made a nuisance of himself and stopped the ball going to uh, Chris Harris. I, I thought he, he was largely in credit. What, what do you think of him then? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think um, it's a job to judge him um, simply for the fact that Wales had so little sort of ball in hand in that first half. I, I can't remember them going beyond, say, six phases other than the the try itself. Um, but aerially, I thought he was really good. Took some high balls um, in, you know, more than difficult conditions, really, with the wind in Uh Defensively, as you say, he did well to spook um, Chris Harris when, really, that should have been a walking try for Scotland. Um, after some similar sort of defensive issues again where we're seeing people sort of blitz out the line I think it was Falatau on that occasion blitzed and and left sort of the wider Wales defence Jonathan Davis a bit high and dry Um, again that's still something that Byron Hayward needs to to fully work on I don't think Wales are comfortable with the defence at the minute I think it's a bit too fast and a bit too high off first phase but it was good from Bigger to sort of to snuff that out and I thought on the whole, it was a, a decent game. Um, there wasn't too much he could have done. I remember there was a, shortly after Wales scored, they had a counter-attacking chance, which came from Bigger taking a high ball. Josh Adams made a break, found Gareth Davis. 
Um, Will Rollins was taken out with a no arms tackle. They recycled and it went to bigger. Um, and it, it had it, you know, had they spread it wide there, they, they possibly could have scored. But I don't think bigger, it was quite on for bigger to, to spread it. I think Scotland did a very good job of slowing the ruck down and it meant they could sort of get into the face of bigger cut out of the passing options um, and so he had to sort of truck it up but other than that yeah there wasn't it wasn't an easy game for him to to really make a mark on obviously especially considering he was probably working on about 70% with the injury that he picked up in the warm-up but um, yeah compared to his, his his Paris performance it was it was an improvement the question now is what water whales do there for the rest of the autumn? Do they do they experiment with giving Patchell a bit of a run? Do they give Sheedy some minutes? I, I don't buy into the argument. I know a lot of people make the argument that damn bigger can't get this Welsh backline moving in a pivot game plan. I don't buy that. I don't think he's had a platform to do that yet. I don't think he's had the options around him. But you know, I, th- I think. As we, we we know what to expect from Dan Bigger, don't we? I'm not, in the, you know, you're not in the business of taking caps away from people for the sake of taking caps away from people. But we know what he can do. Patchell hasn't really had an extended run in the team. You know, he had the Argentina tour, didn't he, where he impressed, and then since then, Hanscom and Bigger have been the men. And Callum Sheedy's the uncapped one that we we kind of want to get a look at. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with the remaining four games. Um, would you bring in Callum Sheedy maybe on the bench for Ireland? Well, look, a lot will depend on. on Biggest fitness, um, yeah. I mean, you would, you would, you wouldn't. Sort of, so really, it's a, it's a difficult call because, as we've said, Ireland is no place to be um, uh, throwing in sort of uh, test novices, if you like. Um, if biggest fit for me, Georgia's the game to be uh, experimented at the moment. You know, there is a, a degree of pressure building on. Wayne Pivak, so uh, he needs to he needs to go really strong for the Island game, and I would suggest if Biggers fit, then yeah, you know, you 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 say that um, people are saying that okay. In fact, Warren Gatlin says said before the game uh, at the weekend that we should be using this autumn campaign for development. Yes, absolutely, but there is such sort of um, pressure building and. Criticism mounted. Um, the number of texts I had last night of people, <laughs> and a one block just settled for uh, uh, pivot out, pivot out, pivot out, all in capital letters. And uh, he thought, well, hold it, hold it a little bit. Year, he's only been in a year. You, you gotta, you gotta give the guy at least two years. Um, but um, look, I mean, yeah. So if biggest fit for me, I'd start with him against uh, Ireland, and then I, I'd consider another option, maybe Sheedy to the Georgia game. He looks composed. He looks confident. Um, I, I, I a little bit disappointed that with that. Wales didn't find room somewhere in their in their squad of thirty eight for Jared Evans, who um, who, who is just a, a, a really classy attacking runner. I, I watched the Blues play Munster uh, last Monday evening, and uh, some of Jared Evans's running in, in that match was was outstanding. And uh, if his kicking isn't quite there, uh, I think he. I think there were six or seven kicks out of hand, you know, and four, four or five of those didn't really uh, do much um, and uh, didn't have that much distance either. But um, 
I think if he can improve that side of his game, he, he's deserving of a place in the in the Wales squad because I think he's got real talent and he's got a point of difference in that he is a classy game breaker. But of course, at the moment, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, you go back to the old thing. It wouldn't really matter if uh, if Dan Carter had been at number ten as opposed to Dan Bigger, you know, because because of what was going on. But for me, you stick with Bigger for Ireland if if he's okay and if he's fit. Um, I think it's two weeks, isn't it, um, to the Irish match, and um, that'll give him a little bit of time. Uh, and failing that, well, you know, yeah, you know, it's. Um, Probably Patchell to start, and maybe Sheedy coming off the bench um, if, if Bigger's not ready. But um, yeah, for me, I, I, I think I think when he's finished, people will realise what Bigger brought to the West side. Um, that, that's not to eulogise him after yesterday, because you know he, he was steady, and for me, it was a six or seven out of ten performance. Um, but I still think he's got a lot to offer and a few years left yet as well with Wales. It's a two-week break now, isn't it, until the, the Ireland game? So I don't think I don't think the the calls for for Pivac out from the, sort of the vocal section of the fan base are going to die down too much in that time. I don't think anything's going to really sway their opinion. Um, is there anything? Would, would you urge patience or anything? Uh, for me, I think I've seen a lot of people comparing Pivac to, to Gatland, which obviously is, is only natural being his successor. But it, it, it's unfair for me, considering that there's a few areas of contention I have. For one, I think Alan Wynne-Jones himself pointed out that, you know, with the Gatland thing, you, you've got to remember there was three Grand Slams or whatever it was, but there was also eight years where eight Six Nations campaigns where Wales were fairly dormant. You know, it wasn't it wasn't all blinding success. People point to the fact that Pivac's taken over a Grand Slam winning team and turned it into a team that's finished fifth, while Gatland took a a team under Gareth Jenkins that went out of a World Cup in a pool stage and won a Grand Slam and and and, and leveled that as some sort of slight against Pivac. When for me, I, I think. I'm not saying it's easy what Gatlin did, but if you look at sort of how rugby coaching tends to work, it is probably simpler for the likes of Gatland, sort of with Eddie Jones with England in 2016, to come in and take what was a, a good core of a team and just give it a bit of direction than it is to take possibly a team that's overachieving and is is due to come down to, to, to earth with a bit of a bump anyway and mould it into something different. I think Gatland didn't really change the Wales team that he took over till about 2010. And I think we all remember, you know, I've probably forgotten it now because of the, the World Cup that followed the year after, but 2010 was pretty dire, wasn't it? I remember, you know, Ryan Jones was basically stripped of the captaincy on the pitch after the draw to Fiji. Eddie Jones had, a, had an awful 2018 with England. There was talk that he wouldn't even make the World Cup. After they lost to South Africa in a, in a in a tour after their their long winning run, Ireland after conquering the world in 2018 under Joe Schmidt had a had an awful 2019. There's always going to be this drop off for me, um, and it's probably it's doubled by the fact that Wales had after after three years of let's be honest relative mediocrity. 2016, Wales get whitewashed in New Zealand don't really do much in the Six Nations or the Autumn. 2017 is the same. Obviously, it's under Howley, but they have an awful Six Nations finish fifth. Don't do too much in the Autumn. They try to change the game plan, decide they can't. 2018, a little bit better. Go to Argentina. Decent Autumn for once. And then 2019's finally 
the year that Gatland sort of gets it right into that World Cup cycle, gets the winning run and all that, that's the Grand Slam. There was always going to be a drop-off this year, even if Gatland had stayed, as far as I'm concerned, just because naturally there's always going to be that drop-off. Teams work you out. You, you can't keep up those levels and it drops off. And then it's doubled by the fact that Pivak's come in and, and, and is trying to change the game plan. So I don't buy the idea that Pivak was ever going to achieve instant success or even the fact that Wales have gone from Grand Slam champions to what what they are now is solely on Pivak? No, it's... Uh... You you can't put it all on on Pivac, and uh, you you are right, Ben. That um, I think if Scotland had uh, had been in charge, it, it would have uh, it would have still been a a sort of a campaign of you know regrouping and maybe experimenting a little bit. And uh, and, and you are right to point out as well that there were several seasons, really fallow seasons, um, during the Gatland era. And 2017, of course, he he, he was with the Lions, but uh, Will Will's would die um, in that Six Nations, finishing fifth. And uh, you track back to 2011, even before the, that that World Cup campaign. Uh, I remember being out in France, and again, Will, Will Will's was sort of uh, given a hard time out there by the French. And I, I remember after the game. The, the feeling was well, this isn't great at all, and uh, uh, but it did come right in the World Cup, and the likes of Warburton, Falatau, uh, Scott Williams, and j- just young players came to the party and really, uh, Dan Lydia really delivered for Gatland. What I think with Gatland, what, what impressed me about him uh, as as much as anything was that uh, he, he had this ability. I don't know to. Stop the rot and uh, and produce uh, and he he was just a resilient character uh, and that resilience came through in his team and um, I, I track back to 2015 uh, it was a World Cup warm up game in Cardiff Wills were uh, again pretty much monstered by Ireland giving a, a bit of a tune in and, and people were really really deflated because there was a, a trip to Dublin a week or two later um, and they all uh, they went out to Dublin and pretty much everyone reported for duty uh, no more so than uh, Tip, Justin Tipperick who, who was near man of the match that day and Wales beat Ireland out there um, before the World Cup and it, and it, and it kind of lifted spirits a little bit but he had that ability to sort of uh, come out fighting when his back was against the wall and uh, players look to him, and uh, they they say, you know, that the, you know, that people do take their cue. Players do take their cues from their coaches, and, and Gatlin was a tough, resilient character, and he didn't take defeat lying down. And uh, he he just got his players playing in his own image, and and showing that kind of uh, attitude, if you like, um, uh, to sort of. Uh, Break a sequence of defeats or come back after a bad defeat and, uh, and put themselves back on track. I think Wales did a little bit more of that, and they uh, they could certainly do with it uh, in Dublin in two weeks' time. And uh, yeah, if they can, uh, you know, Pivak's goal when when he took over, he said he wanted to take the best of the of the what Gatland had left on him uh, left for him. And then build on it with his own ideas. I think that was a laudable goal, and um, 
Yeah, it, it's, it hasn't worked out so far, but look, we're, we're only a year in. Um, but he, he just needs, um, he, he needs a, a good performance to break this sequence of, of misery, if you like, and, uh, and give the players some confidence. And confidence is everything in professional sport. As you say, Ben, you look at those Wales backs yesterday and you could see that their body language wasn't great. And, um, yeah, a, a win in Dublin, which uh, you probably really get good odds for, I've got to say at the moment. But a win in Dublin would uh, would do wonders, you know, for the uh, the self belief of the players. Indeed, I think we'll uh, leave the podcast there. I don't think we can really pull the game apart too much more without uh, making ourselves quite upset. I'd imagine. I don't know how you felt watching the game back last night, but it wasn't enjoyable for me. No, no. Can I say something about JJ before we pack? Of in course, there? yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was, um, he was, a, as a, you know, as, as a sort of a, a child, if you like, or schoolboy growing up uh, at the time he played, he, he he was a fantastic player. And we, we talk about confidence in the player and self-belief. He, he always had it. People thought that maybe it spilled over occasionally into arrogance. But it, it, it was more a sort of armor-plated confidence and it was it was built on on his excellence as a player, and um, I come from the the same sort of town as as, as JJ, and he and he's he's still revered. I was chatting to um, uh, a former coach of uh, assistant coach of my stick, and he was telling me, you know, no matter who JJ was with, if he was surrounded by press media. Uh, former Grand Slam teammates, he would still come across and he would still make a fuss of of someone he knew from 30 or 40 years ago. And that says a lot about the man. And I mean, I, I crossed swords with him once. I wrote a column, um, which was a bit critical of him, actually, after he'd, he said something about Shane Williams and I took issue with it. And anyway, he phoned me up and... And it's, it's fair to say, you know, he, he, he was pretty irate. Um, but uh, Val would never to speak to me again. But um, at a, a function in Cardiff, so, someone happened to mention that, that I was from my stake, and he came dashing across to me. This, this is this is a few years later. He came dashing across to me, and, and said, "I didn't realise where you were from. How you doing? How you keeping? How's the family?" and and he couldn't have been better company, you know, and he prepared to put um, sort of issues behind him. So I think that a uh, great player and um, a bit cliche to say a better man, but he was a good man and he was quite fearless as well in his punditry. And sometimes I think that uh, it's, it's easy to take issue, particularly in a social media age where someone speaks out and is prepared to put his neck on the block. But JJ was prepared to do that as a pundit. And uh, I quite respected him for it. And I certainly respected him uh, as a bloke. Uh, and so Welsh Rugby, yeah, a light went out in Welsh Rugby this week. And, and, and for me, you know, that, that, that was... Um, that, 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 that deserved to be marked. What, what, what a guy he was. Possibly the, the simplest tribute you can pay to him and, and, and maybe the most effective is the fact that he, he's simply memorable just by those two initials, JJ, which above all probably just speaks volumes to, to how well-known and instantly recognisable and, and memorable he was. 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, of course at the time you had JPR as well, and it, it was it was such a fondly remembered team, and it's easy to hark back to a, a golden age, uh, you know, in in, in in disclaimers in single quotes for Welsh rugby, but it was it was a time when the the national team sort of um, played in, in the in the image of the public as well. You know, they, the public wanted them; they pleased the public basically. They 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 played as they played as 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 the public wanted them to, but JJ had this habit of uh, of conjuring really important tries. And just watching uh, video footage of him online this week, um, I think a, a montage of his best bits were put together by the BBC. Um, and they, in fairness to them, they they did a very good job. And um, JJ was sprinted on the touchline, and just his sheer pace. And uh, when Wales played Ireland, I think he scored that try in the corner. I think it won on the uh, Triple Crown in 78, I think it was. And JJ received the ball, and there was just this electric pace over 15 metres. And it's a, it could be the difference, really, between scoring a try and being shoved into touch. And JJ had that, you know. He was a, he was a player who, who you could rely on when you were in a tight corner to, to get you out of trouble just with, with a try or, or some kind of special intervention and players like that are priceless to a team. And even in a team of, of real stars, he still sort of, uh, he still stood out as, as, as a top player. A true legend of the Welsh game who will be sorely missed and it goes without saying that our thoughts and condolences go out to his family. Uh, that is it for today's Welsh Rugby Podcast. We'll be back later in the week with hopefully a more positive episode. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. But for all the latest Welsh Rugby news, you can catch it all on Wales Online. Wales Online.